In March this year, New Zealand was placed into a level four lockdown, meaning most non-essential businesses were forced to close. Workers were sent home and the true reality of the global pandemic set in. For fashion brands like hospitality, live music venues and many other businesses, the immediate reaction was mixed. The pragmatic side of us all rallied to save the business, going over and over financial plans, P&L sheets and managing cash flow. But another more humane and emotional thing happened that was that we all looked sideways at our friends and neighbours and rallied to help them in any way we could. However, the way the pandemic played out meant that only those of us who truly meant it have kept up that positive emotional narrative, acting to shelter our friends and businesses and extolling those same selfless virtues that we all clung to so dearly when COVID first hit. For today's guest, that deeply emotional, honest and authentic interest in people and their talents and stories didn't start in March, but rather started in her childhood in South Africa, where she saw people enjoying life to the full while existing on simple means. It was the passion and community that inspired her, and these pillars she has brought into her business today. Fast forward six months from March, and New Zealand fashion businesses, if they're still here, have had to analyse every aspect of their operations, making sweeping changes to the way they design, what they design, who they design for, and how big they want or need to be. Our guest today is part of our newest wave of designers who have adopted a fiercely local, shamelessly transparent and accountable business model that champions the who over the what. Today we will talk about the shifts in business thinking for young creatives and what the future holds for an industry that has been built on such rigid structure and expectation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the studio today, MENA designer Natalie Proctor. Welcome Natalie. Thanks Mara, thanks for having me. So hey, it's been really interesting actually looking back over your business because, you know, we work together and I know a certain amount about you, but um, I thought for anyone who's listening today, can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of where Mina came from? You know, you enjoyed a bit of your childhood in South Africa, but now you're based in New Zealand. Like, what inspired you to get into fashion in the first place? Um, I mean, I've always been a really like crafty sort of person like my crafty not sneaky crafty like making things crafty (laughs) as in like good with my hands and like those really traditional um you know hand sewing scrapbooking things like that like I learned that from my mum um and was that something you continued into school or like did you do I remember home ec was like not great for me. I was all about drawing and not yeah. making yeah. cushion covers. I and things. was like super non-academic. Yeah. Very. I was like that art kid who like hung out in the art block. But then I had this like I was also really sporty. Like I was a rower, so I had this really weird. Like even my friends were. It was a very separate totally. sort of life. I can imagine you kind of worked in two worlds. Yeah. You know, the sporty yeah. world doesn't really get no. on with the arty no. kids who no. like hang in the corner. Yeah. So school was school was interesting for me. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I did, I really embraced all the art papers. I did like as many as I could. I did the, I did soft tech paper, which I actually ended up failing, but, and here I am as a fashion designer now, which is really interesting, but I really thrived on the creative, like hand making Mm. aspect of school. Um, I through school decided that I wanted to get into photography. So Mm -hmm. I actually, um, 
applied to go to Massey and Wellington to study photography. But um, it ended up, I just had this gravitation to the fashion degree. And I st- my first couple of years I was doing fashion papers with photography papers and then I kind of just ditched the photography, but yeah. I still have such a love for imagery and photography and I really yeah. enjoy I that part of the From industry. everyone we've talked about, it kind of those things often go hand in hand. You know, you can study something creative. It may not be fashion. It may have been architecture. For you, it was photography. Hmm. You know, back in school, it was soft tech. But yeah. then it manifests itself in this interesting new way, you know. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> the surprising thing is, I suppose, that or not maybe not so surprising to us, but surprising to lots of people who look at fashion designers and business owners, they those two things don't normally mix. You know, yeah. the academic side of like balancing books and running a business yeah. is so important, but most people come through with a really direct creative mind, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then you're sure. thrust into running a business yourself, you know, fast forward a few years, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so um So yeah, went to Massey, did a fashion degree, came out with a Bachelor of fashion um and how long was that two three years that was four years four years yeah okay. so your first year is very test out all sorts mm. of different areas and then you sort of hone in in your second year um Massey has like quite a strong s- sustainability stance and so a lot of the um like sub papers that I chose to took were mm. um those sustainable papers which I loved and I'm so glad that I and what year would that have been or well, how many years ago was that that I went to uni? Yeah. Um, ooh, six years? Yeah. It's interesting, I suppose, in in your arc as a designer and a business person and with sustainability now being so prevalent, you know, we're at 2020 now, you're talking about maybe 2014, 2015, you know, like that's kind of, I feel that that's kind of a sweet spot for when a lot of New Zealand fashion people started to hear more about sustainability. Obviously there's been brands that have been championing it for a lot longer before then, but there's so many brands nowadays who haven't done anything to do with sustainability that are madly rushing to catch up to go, no, 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 we're good. We're good too. We make (laughs) some organic cotton t-shirts, you know. But no, it's amazing. Like Whitecliff's really big on that. Obviously, Maggie Marilyn's come through there, Harman Grubisher. And then, you know, with Massey, with you, it's like it's clear that it's been a pillar of that educational system for a long time. And now we're literally seeing the fruits of that labor and all of that that work. So when did you start? When did you start MENA? What year? Um, So I, I finished uni and then I got this amazing opportunity to go to India through Massey on the scholarship with... 20 other girls um and that was yeah after I graduated I went for six weeks and it was essentially like a seed to garment trip where we traveled throughout India we um went from like the organic cotton farm through to um peace silk makers um embroidery like block printing so were you working with these people or just look just like sort of Watching um, them and, and seeing their craft. It was a craft. mix of learning and a little bit of doing. Mm. The the brief at the end was we actually um, collaborated with a uni in New Delhi, um, and we produced a mini collection with. So it was two students from New Zealand, two students mm. from India, and we created a mini collection and we had a fashion show um, at the wow. M- New Zealand Embassy. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. 
So it was incredible. It was amazing, mm. and like I have been really privileged to have travelled um, since I was young, and my my mum's from South Africa, so I spent a lot of time there. Mm. So for me, India wasn't super like shocking in a sense, but it it really made me realise how. Um, how much compassion I have for mm. people and I want to know their story and I am mm. like want to know all about them. Yeah. And I really found that in India where the, where my peers were like so interested in the craft and like what they were doing. Whereas I was standing there with my camera, like taking portraits mm. and being like, mm. what's this person's story? Like where yeah. have they come from? And that made me be like, I have something here that I think is really special and I want to bring that back to New Zealand and do something in the industry mm. that's, you know, supporting people and is like people is so central to that. Mm. Yeah, and we'll get to that later in the talk because that's something that Natalie has kept really close to the business. And for a business that seems on the outside to be so much about product and productivity and items and yeah. waste and replace with more items <laughs> and everything else, like it's really nice to actually hear of a genuine story where, and look to, you know, to be honest, we can't, we can't simply fawn over the people and how amazing they are because mm. you're running a business and you need them to also make stuff. Yeah. But what we can't forget and what we have seen in New Zealand fashion so much in the past few years is designers and, and businesses celebrating the makers. And, and, you know, it's been great. They've really been put on a pedestal and so they should. Mm. These businesses cannot operate. They can't survive without the people who actually make their stuff. Very few designers are sitting there making anything these days. No. They're, someone else is doing their patterns, someone else is doing the twirls, mm -hmm. and someone else is definitely making the product, you yeah. know? So it's actually the people that are, like any business, absolutely central to it. So, Natalie, when you started your own business, like for, like so many New Zealand businesses, that must have been a, a bit of a sole effort. Like you're on your own. You're going, man, this is great. I want to do it. I've got the energy from university. I'm throwing myself into this thing. Now, you ran that business for two years before you got anyone else to really help you. Your mum's always been there. Yeah. Shout out to mum yep. in Shout the background, always there. But like, you know, I've I've dealt with so many local companies that have just through no fault of their own, but merely scale, it's just them. Yeah. Just sprinting to do everything they can. Tell us about those kind of when you started and, and how you've operated as largely a, a single, single handed business up until yeah. now. And I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like if I had the finances to bring people on, I look now I'm like, I have learned so much that I, I don't think my business would be where it was if I had brought people on to take the mm. workload off me. Mm. I know all areas of my business now and it's made it so much easier to train someone in Yeah, because I, yeah. You certainly wouldn't have learnt as much about running a business had you no. been able to delegate half exactly. of it to a team of people, right? Yeah, and like my fashion degree was just fashion. There was no mm. business aspect. So like mm. starting a business, I had absolutely no idea about yeah. much in terms yeah. of... And anyone else who's listening to this and is in design school, I know that's something that the universities are trying to do more, but yeah. it's something that we come across all the time, yeah. is that you've got exceptionally passionate creative people who all want to be at the top of their own pyramid. And, and you know, we're Kiwis, we love having our own businesses, 
but there's not enough business study done in school and, and e- basic economics and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, I started the business on my own, um, came back from India, was like, mom and dad, I want to do this thing. I want to start this brand, um, all about the people, celebrate people, blah, blah, blah. And mum and dad obviously being um, the supportive parents that they are, were like, yeah, we're on board. We're on board for the journey. So mum kind of has been helping me since day one. I don't think she really understood what she was getting herself into. Um, there's, a no, there's a lovely little note on your website about how mum's craft room was turned into our production yeah. office. And it's such a like lovely story in that I learn all my, like the scrapbooking and the mosaics and like all of that stuff downstairs in this rumpus room. And this rumpus room is now mum and I's studio yeah. where all the pattern making is done we hold all our machines there that's like our mm. creative hub um awesome so yeah mum uh runs now the production side and in the beginning she sort of came on board to just help me do pattern making because that was not really my forte i guess i'm a little bit impatient mm. and i just want things done um, <laughs> i want it like this i want it to look like that and i want exactly. it tomorrow and then i yeah. just want to photograph it and yeah. i want people to buy it and yeah. anyway um so yeah so mum came on board and it's just been the two of us really and so i've just mum sort of taken over the production side and what she actually loves you know that's that's her area she loves and for me i guess i run the rest of the business which is just a balancing of like you know i'm one day i'm doing finance stuff and then like the next day i'm Mm. designing and then i'm selling and then i'm doing this and it's the hardest part is being able to jump between roles Mm. and like yeah Yeah, you got to put different hats on and then almost like jump out of your mind and go forget about looks and silhouettes and colors and fabrics and whatever and today i need to go and buy new cleaning supplies for the office and exactly high purchase a new computer you know i know so it's at the same time is kind of awesome and exciting and fast paced but it's also and i don't think young business people give themselves enough downtime is that it's exhausting Mm -hmm. and it's mentally you know and sure fashion gets a, a bad rap all the time because we're all sitting here designing pretty dresses going well is me life so hard but it's just it's just basic business running stuff and that's yeah it's tough and you came into it going i see what the end goal is but i've got to teach myself how to get there through all these other things yeah. setting up a business registering for gst all that stuff you know yeah. how do i send an invoice you know like <laughs> exactly. that's these are the questions i still get asked nowadays by young creatives when we're like can you bill us and they're like what, what do you mean <laughs> What, can you just pay me? It's like, no, 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 no. I need an invoice first. Hey, so, okay, so we'll do these little mini leaps. So coming into the beginning of this year, like your business was on a really great trajectory. You'd done Fashion Week 2019, beautiful little breakfast presentation that was very meaner. Yes. was small scale. Yes. All about the people. Yes. Models were very diverse and that was really great. And then March comes around and everyone's world kind of gets A, thrown upside down and B, there's a big handbrake put on everything mm-hmm. so what were those immediate feelings that you felt and how did it impact your business uh i was really excited for the launch of this collection because it was the collection off the back of fashion week it was a collection that we sh- previewed and sold into retailers and i was really excited and 
uh, we essentially launched our collection the day before Jacinda announced lockdown. So it was this really overwhelming time mm. where, you know, we usually launch a collection and we just get so much positive feedback and, like, yeah. you know, it's just the best feeling, but it felt so insensitive to be mm. launching something and trying to, like, be loud on social media about yes. it when there was like this global pandemic going on. Yeah, and everyone was sharing those Instagram templates of like five local cafes yeah, to support yes. and support your local grocer and donate to the neighbour next door and you're like, buy my dresses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> support your local business as AKA me. Exactly. And honestly, it's the but hardest... no one wanted to say that, you know, but exactly. they all yeah. needed it. Yeah. And mm. like, yes, you've you felt like it was insensitive, but like this... The business is my livelihood and it's mm. my, you know. So there was this hard balance of like, I, I really need to sell some clothes. Yeah. But I also understand what's going on. So mm. like, what do I do? And I guess I I had a couple of days of just sitting on it and I'm pretty mm. sure I called you mm. and I was yeah, like. Yeah, we had some lengthy chats. Yeah, I but just was, didn't know what to do. It was interesting because obviously with my business, we were going through similar things. You know, we'd had handbrakes put on us too. But we still had to do, we'd still had to do our service, which like you getting product to market and selling things, we had to come up with ideas. And actually we had more pressure on us from people going, we need you guys to work really hard mm. because the whole world's just ground to a halt and we're kind of staring at this big black hole. And if anything, everyone felt like they were sliding downhill and they didn't know how far they were going to slide and when they were going to stop, which was terrifying for most people, yeah. especially business owners you know yeah. like yeah it was it was a crazy time I yeah. think for me I uh, I had like maybe a couple days of oh no I don't know what to do this is this is really overwhelming and then I just like those, those however many weeks weeks were in lockdown I probably worked the hardest mm. I ever worked and it was uh time for me to really step away from my business and like look at it as a whole look at my brand values my personal values mm. do they align where do i see the business in the future because because i've you know i've only been going two well, two and a half years mm. it's like a, it's just like hustling all the time yeah and i never have any time to like step away mm. and one like celebrate the wins yep. And two, to be like, okay, do I still want the business to go in this direction or mm. what do I want to do? And I think I was lucky because I am small. I could be nimble and make mm. changes that potentially yeah. other big businesses couldn't do. So, mm. Or would have taken a lot longer, like a big steam train to yes. turn the corner. Yes. And you, luckily however hard it is to day-to-day -day manage the business on your own. Yeah. It also means when you want to change, you just need I to turn just, around 180 yeah. and boom, you're there, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you've done an awesome job. And I think within our, within our roster of clients and people that we know, you have been a really good kind of um, sort of an example of how quickly people needed to pivot mm -hmm. because we've all talked about pivoting. We've all talked about analyzing our business and changing the way it used to be. But f I can't help but think for a lot of businesses, they, they, what they've come back to is very similar to what they left behind. Now they talk the big talk, and this is what we alluded to in the introduction, 
your business has always been about community. It's always been about the people. Mm. So in lockdown, with everyone going, celebrate your local community, you were like, yeah, 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 already there. I've been <laughs> there. It. Yeah, got it. I'm there. <laughs> so, you know, jump into like the, the put your real business hat on and tell us about besides the community stuff, which was for you, that was a tick. Um, I've got that layer done. We're humming. You, you know, through social and your EDMs, you've got that content. It's already been there. So how, what did you come away with? Like from a business point of view, is it about going seasonless? Is it about making less? Is it about waste reduction? Like what are the big changes that you have decided to make? Um, I was really lucky in the beginning when I first launched my brand, I really hustled to get those retailers. Um, and so a, almost a good 50% of my business is wholesale. And what I found during COVID, because on those stores had to close their doors, was that I can't so heavily rely on wholesale as much as like we have a really great partnership and like I wouldn't be here without them, but I need to, to really have some confidence in, you know, my community and my customers and my online store and really invest into that. Mm. And so coming out of COVID, we have done that in that we are still we still have our retailers and we still support them and they support us but we are wanting to invest into our online store and our mm. customers um and for anyone who's kind of less familiar and maybe hears that wholesale term all the time and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm really going to simplify it let's say a fashion designer makes something and it costs them a hundred dollars to actually make it like the the hours and the resources and the time and the materials cost 100. You'd sell it to a wholesaler for roughly twice that. So you cover your costs and make 100% markup, but then the wholesaler might double that cost. So they might sell it for 400 because they bought it for 200. So they are making you know twice their money back. But if you're the maker and you've made it for 100 and you sell it for 400, the margin is huge. Yeah. Now fashion's whole industry is based on that very basic premise. And I think what a lot of smaller brands are seeing these days is if they can make it to cost and leap straight to the retail point, mm -hmm. the margin's much bigger and they become much more prosperous quicker. Yep. However, for a small brand like yourself, and I've seen countless in New Zealand, they simply have to rely on the wholesale market to to hit the market at all. Yeah. Like who can just start a business and immediately open a retail store and be super successful from day one? Like it just doesn't happen these days, you know? And like for me, my retailers have been so important for my journey. Like one of my, probably my biggest customer base is in Wellington. And I don't know if that's because I studied there. Um, I have an amazing, I have two amazing stockers down there, Ina and Good as Gold. And having retailers throughout the country means it broadens your customer base. Like mm. if I didn't have retailers throughout the country, potentially my customer base would only be Auckland based. Yep. So... They are so important, and it's just finding that good balance mm. for to be a sustainable brand and like to be around mm. for years. Um, and of course, coming out of or coming into lockdown, I suppose. So, what you said before, you're all of a sudden your wholesalers are calling you madly, going, "Please don't send the stock. Yeah, we have to shut you. our doors for six to eight weeks. Yeah. We can't. A, we can't pay you. B, we can't make any cash flow of our own. We've got no one coming through the doors. Yeah. C, even if we can make an online sale, we can't ship it. 
So our customers who want things immediately, they're not shopping, you know. It was this crazy knock-on effect. So, and to your point before, you had the time to go, okay, if I can weather the storm, I need to think now about how if we ever get into the situation again, I don't have to panic as much as I am now, you know. Yeah. So, and while that wholesale network, as you said, has probably weathered the storm to an extent, they've kept on the brands that do well and that they love and that their customers love. Yeah. And they've probably had to get rid of a few that were kind of like dragging the chain a little bit. Yeah. But now you're faced with this great opportunity of how can I do more direct to consumer? How can I really work with my community to build my business? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, I guess, done a lot of thinking over lockdown around I mean, I've always wanted to sort of change the model, but being such a small brand, it's not like I can just be like, I'm going to do this no, you're and at, it's fine. You're you know? at the mercy of the industry. Exactly. You're a minnow. You're like, yeah. you've yeah. just got to roll with the ocean. You know? Yeah. And and that is the hardest thing. Like, I want to launch it this time and then I, want to, I only want to go and sail it this time, but you... You can't just mm. make those decisions on your own. You yeah. have to. The move. fashion world goes, no, no, no. You'll launch in February. Exactly. And you'll launch in August because I told you that's when the customers yeah. are going to be ready. Yep. Yep. And, and you'll go on sale mm. this many months, six weeks later, or whatever. Yeah. So. And when the next guy goes on sale, you're going to go on sale too because you can't not. Yeah. It's a it's a crazy cycle. I mean, in France, they have times when everyone's allowed to go on sale, and if you go on sale outside of that you're ostracized mm. you know mm. or possibly even fined mm. but there's no like there's no regulation and people like the wastage is huge and markdowns are crazy yeah so yeah so you've got to take some power back right yeah so we i mean as much as I think honestly that something like covid needed to happen for there to be this shift and luckily for me I had been thinking about changing my model it was just finding the time to put that Mm. into action and so now is really the best time Um, so natalie traditionally when you're a young business person you want to get into fashion you look at the world and the industry and the model that's in front of you it used to be two massive seasons a year in new zealand Fall winter drops in February, which is completely nuts because it's our warmest month of the year and people are being asked to buy a coat. And then in August, when especially it's blustery and cold and there's snowstorms and everything, we're told to put spring into shops. So people are thinking about buying skimpy dresses and lightweight shirts. Again, bananas. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) So, So the pandemic gives you a chance to go, hang on a second, if I could do this in my own way, how would I do it? So what did you come up with? So we are now moving from two large seasons to four small, we're calling them lines because I've always designed quite trans-seasonally, but because of the industry, we've sort of been forced to call them summer and winter, Mm. but we are now moving forward, not speaking in seasons. Great. And our offerings will be overall a very trans-seasonal range that will drop four times a year. And two of those drops will be on the, on the season so it still fits in with wholesale and mm-hmm. it's not really like mm. stuffing that up too much. And that's much. a big machine that you can't shift. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of got to exactly. pander to them to yeah. a certain extent. Okay. And then two small uh, drops slightly later, three months later, and those are smaller offerings that, you know, if our wholesalers don't want to 
buy into them and they're still sticking with the old model, then that's fine. It mm. means that as a as a brand and our online store will will invest into those ourselves and yep. that's where we'll really push those ourselves. Great. So it's kind of a win win for both of us and that's the model that I think is gonna suit mm. our retailers and us in a positive way. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of think now is a good time also, and you, I mean, God, you don't have to research too much to find out about the, the, the aches and pains of the global fashion industry and how massive department stores are, have been, have kind of crippled themselves because they're the ones who are buying copious amounts of bikinis and selling them in February in the Northern hemisphere. Mm. When the magazines tell them that's when you start going spring, summer, yet it's like snowstorms and blizzards. Yeah. So, of course, now the retailers are going, well, hang on, that's not working for us. And as a consumer, you go in to a Northern Hemisphere store in February and go, I need a coat. And they're like, no, you don't. You need a sarong. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 trust me, I don't need a sarong. So there's a power shift happening, you yes. know, and yes, it'll take a while. And, yeah. you know, with all due respect to you and other smaller designers in New Zealand, you're not individually going to make the change, but collectively, yes. the wholesalers and the retailers might go, hang on a second, th th we've been reliant on this old model too. And our consumers, our customers don't don't need it. They don't want it. It doesn't work for them. Yeah. They're beholden to buy what's put in front of them. That's not what they need. It's what the fashion world tells them they can have, but you know, it doesn't actually work for anybody. Yeah. So, okay, so that's that's an awesome shift. And you're one of... A, probably a handful of younger designers that's really put their foot to the floor and gone, we just have to do this. It's for me now, and yep. I'm going to move forward. So talking about direct-to-consumer, obviously online's the, the biggest one because it's easier. You don't have to have bricks and mortar rent. Yep. But also there's a traditional experience, which is about retail. Now, you've got a project coming up in the next few months, which is interesting, and it resonates with community and small scale and direct-to-consumer and everything else. So tell us about that. Uh, I guess we're, the opportunity we've been given is kind of has come at the perfect time, even though it seems at an odd time because of COVID, but we are going to be moving. So we're currently at K Road and we have this really cool mm. community and we're in this building we've got the caker below us yep. i used to live upstairs and then i worked on the middle level i also had the shared workspace going on it was a very creative mm. but also cool. very high stress you know crazy place um but yeah. it's really worked for me and it's really projected my business to where it is now um but we've been given opportunity to move to Graylin and create a new community there and we are opening a store slash showroom um, in the sense that it isn't open seven days but it will it's like what I have at Cairo but mm. it's street front um, ground floor ground floor cool. great car parking mm. it's great location and there's an amazing little thing happening around that Greylin area so for anyone who knows Greylin it's kind of the top of Williamson Ave where that meets uh, Great North Road rather than like the Graylin where Lillian and Nature Baby is. And around where you're going to set up, there's Kakako across the road. Um, there's that really cute little bar around the corner. Pocket bar. Pocket bar. You've got a new like vegan um, deli that's opened. You've cool. got Tart Bakery. Mm. You've got Greenpoint Florist. Yeah. Um, 
it's great. a really cool up and coming area and it's still got that like grunginess that K Road's got. So yeah, yeah, yeah. um so we will be moving into there uh soon and we will have the front as our shop and we will work out the back. So mm. it means that it's not a retail shop that I have to staff seven days a week. It's not that huge leap. It's just a a little step for us, mm. um, which hopefully we can grow. Yeah, um, cool. It seems like a really nice manageable next step, you know? Like yeah. It's not like you're having to go into Westfield and sign up to whatever you're told to. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. That's, that's great. And I suppose that community angle that's been so prevalent in both starting your business and the family aspect with your mum and knowing a lot of your customers and mm. being, I mean, this is an amazing thing I used to find out about um, places like Scotty's. They used to go on international buying trips and they'd actually buy things with certain customers in mind. Right. You're probably getting to the point where you're designing going, oh, yeah. Virginia's going to love this yeah. one, you know? And yeah. <laughs> so, and that's the amazing thing. Like, I think it's, we're in this moment where it doesn't have to be about, well, next year we have to do this much plus 20%. Yeah. You know, we don't have to keep making more, you know, like there's certain a certain point where businesses can survive at that limit and be okay, mm. you know. Mm. And that community vibe where everyone's looking left and right and caring about the people next to them, that's amazing. Yeah. And if we if everyone can survive at that limit, at least for this year and a bit of next year, I think we all get a bit more breathing space and we can go, hey, this is actually pretty cool, you know. Yeah. So, hey, speaking about community and how it kind of impacts on your narrative, obviously fashion brands generally are known for talking at people and selling them stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what's nice about when you kind of dip into your world, it is more about sharing stories of the people yeah. and the community and yeah. the maker or the model or whatever. So how have you found that? How have you found kind of weaving that into your business? And like, do you find that it also has an amazing cut through and people like read the stories and love them and then buy the product? Mm. Or how does it impact on your business? Um, I think it's something that we've I've slowly introduced. Mm. Um, like coming off the back of India, I was like, this wanted to do this really ethical, tell all these stories. I wanted to like slap the person's face on the swing tag. Like this is who made it. Yeah. I wanted to go that deep. And then I think you've got to be sensitive around, you know, what you've got to be commercial at the same time. Mm. And, you know, it's got to resonate with people. And so I think I've slowly been weaving in the maker's stories into the brand because mm. I still really, um, I wanted the brand to be really strong on its own in the beginning mm. and the product to be really strong. Yeah. Because um, also your your purely fashion content is really beautiful and it moves with this sort of elegance of these younger designers who are, are about the emotive, you know, like a lot of your shots are in nature mm. and they're shot outdoors, you know, mm. and you can see that coming through lots and lots of fashion mm. content these days too, mm. which is really cool. And there's this inherent connection to the earth and the outdoors yeah. and whatever. But, you know, then you've got to balance that with, but hey, this person is the one who sews my buttons. And yeah. also, like you said, by the way, you can buy this too. Yeah. Here's the link, <laughs> which is kind of the dirty, yes. <laughs> but yes. ultimately necessary <laughs> It is, and you it's, need, right? yeah, it's a fine line, and I think yeah. 
it's just it's always been important to me and since uni like even when I look back at my uni projects it's always been about celebrating the mm. maker and like trying to get people to understand how many hands yeah touch that garment like there are so many people involved in the process of fashion and like even our business like there's there's mm. so many people who without them we wouldn't be where we are and I oh, just think sure. that's really important or it's important to me to showcase those people and really celebrate them yeah um yeah. and so that is what we are doing more of and mm. we reached out to our customers during lockdown which we reached out to them quite a lot to talk to them about because I found I've never really asked them things because mm. I have the social platform but I don't really mm. I don't use the platform personally personally yeah like I'm quite separate to my brand mm. um how did you find that like what I'm, was their reaction like oh well like people love I find we get higher and and yeah, I knew that. We get higher yeah. engagement when it's coming from me sure. and it's a personal thing mm. rather than Mina, this brand that has no face to it. Like yep. you can't connect to it. Mm. So we over COVID when I gave my opinions and mm. I reached out people and I asked people about what they wanted to see more of, whether they mm. wanted to see more maker stories. And like that's what people want. They yeah. want that in their emails and they want to know more about the processes and mm. so that was like awesome because yeah. I can do so much but if people don't want that then yeah and I think you you find your own sweet spot like there's a lot of talk and fashion at the moment about how brands need to slow down and you know do more of this and less of that and it's like well that actually won't work for every brand mm. you know so but now's a great time to test it out yeah. You know, like test out different content on social media, like what you've done, write an op-ed, speak vulnerably from mm. your experiences, you know, like actually put yourself out there and go, I'm not, a f you know, the managing director of a faceless brand that just pumps out product. Mm. I'm a person that lives around the corner from you. I've got a shop down the road. We buy fresh flowers from across the road. I get my cafe from the same place your partner does. Yeah. I'll see you in the morning, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and in New Zealand, we have this beautiful opportunity to actually do that. You know, not just talk about it and go, God, wouldn't that be great? Mm. You know, and mm. this year, like I said before, that that idea, that feeling, that emotion of connection is so much more valid than yeah. it ever has been. Yeah. And for well, you to be able to actually express yourself by doing that and rent a shop around the corner and walk the talk, mm. you know, it's a pretty, it's kind of pretty lucky at the same time. Yes. We wouldn't be able to do this in every city in the world, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Natalie, this has been an amazing chat and um, we're at the end of our, our time, but um, thank you so much for coming on Fashion and Focus today and sharing your story and talking about soft furnishing craft at school <laughs> or whenever you were the A++ student at. Um, and for anyone else who's studying fashion at the moment and like is getting into sustainability and, and feeling like building this business, I mean, now is the, now's a great time, you know, like do it differently take the power back, own it as a designer and kind of um, move forward in a way that's natural to you because now's the time to, you know, be yourself. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Thanks, Natalie. We'll uh, talk again soon and good luck for the store. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in. 
and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favorite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.